This is Chain Reaction, the podcast about everything for supply chain advantage. I'm Tony Hines. Let's get started. This edition of Chain Reaction is all about supply chains in the news. This week, the big policy statement from Joe Biden, President of the United States, was about making U.S. supply chains resilient. And this means having the capability to bounce back from any kinds of disruption. And so I want to share some of my ideas about ways in which all organizations can think about making their own supply chains resilient. This week, I want to focus on supply chain resilience. And when we talk about supply chain resilience, we have to take into account what that actually means. And the best way to think about it right now is to think about bounce back. It's about getting supply chains to deliver what they're supposed to deliver. So first of all, Let's focus on the United States, where President Joe Biden has issued a policy statement on supply chain resilience. And I'm just going to read a snippet from that. The policy statement issued states as follows. The United States needs resilient, diverse, and secure supply chains to ensure our economic prosperity and national security. Pandemics and other biological threats, cyber attacks, climate shocks, and extreme weather events, terrorist attacks, geopolitical and economic competition, and other conditions can reduce critical manufacturing capacity and the availability and integrity of critical goods, products, and services. Resilient American supply chains will revitalize and rebuild domestic manufacturing capacity, maintain America's competitive edge in research and development, and create well-paying jobs. They will also support small business, promote prosperity, advance the fight against climate change, and encourage economic growth in communities of color and economically distressed areas. So there we have it, a statement issued about the need to ensure resilient supply chains. So what are resilient supply chains? So in this statement, we have some understanding about what resilience means in a national context for supply chains. But I want to delve a little deeper and talk about what resilience means in supply chains for all organizations. Supply chain professionals are adopting the term resilience. But resilience is a very useful word to explain how supply chains can be stress-tested. And stress-testing supply chains is useful when it comes to thinking about configurations to achieve supply chain advantage. So today, we're going to look at companies that are employing resilient strategies and how they understand the term resilience when it comes to supply chains. Synonyms for resilience are flexibility, elasticity, suppleness, rigidity, toughness, and resistance. Let's begin by picking out a word we all understand as supply chain professionals. Flexibility. Flexibility in a supply chain means the ability to change processes, to adapt to the changing conditions in the market 
and the demands of customers. Adapting to changes in the environment and having the ability to adjust strategies and operations to change in those conditions in the macro and micro environment are necessary for all supply chains. Put differently, sensing changes in the supply chain ecosystem and having flexibility to change is critical. So is resilience just another word for flexibility? Well, let's delve deeper. Planning to have more resilience in a supply chain means lowering risk. If we think about ways to lower risk, then we may quickly think of strategies that enable us to do that. Lowering cost reduces risk by not tying up too much invested in working capital, which in a supply chain usually means reducing inventories, raw materials, work in progress, finished goods, and the labor in those processes to produce outputs. Historically, postponing production, operating just-in-time systems, or outsourcing have all been used to lower costs. But these do not necessarily make supply chains more resilient. In fact, they may do the exact opposite. If we extend supply chains geographically and they become more complex, we risk disruption. Many companies potentially incur risk moving offshore and by adopting these more complex arrangements for their supply chain, which, of course, may not be the aim of resilience. Resilience is to ensure that we have constant supply. We've all experienced walking into a supermarket and seeing empty shelves. And when we see those empty shelves, with our favourite breakfast cereal missing, or our favourite meal deal, or our favourite sweet, favourite coffee, favourite tea, favourite whatever it be, then we know one thing for certain, that there is a failure in the supply chain. So in essence, those empty shelves, we are witnessing supply chains that are definitely not resilient. And those disruptions in supply, which can be caused by natural disasters, strikes, delays, a supplier perhaps going bankrupt, are all evidence of non-resilient supply chains. So, what exactly would be the strategies to ensure resilient supply chains? Let's think a little further. Well, I suppose in traditional supply chain terms, we could think about supply chain resilience and how to achieve it by perhaps spreading risks in some way. And we could think about resilience in association with risk spreading. So if we're going to risk spread, we might decide to source from different suppliers. Now, over the past 20 years or so, most retail brands have decided to reduce the number of suppliers that they deal with in any particular category. It also means that you've reduced inventory variety. You don't have to hold the number of SKUs, the stock-keeping units, that you would have done with more suppliers. And they've done that to lower cost in dealing with those suppliers that remain. In other words, if you have a lot of suppliers, it can cost you a lot of time, which means a lot of money tied up in dealing with the relationships with that supplier. One way, of course, to overcome such cost is to invest in supply chain technologies that make the management of those suppliers much easier to do. The other thing, apart from going for spreading the risk by having multiple sources of supply, would be to reduce the complexity and the length, the geographical spread of those supply chains by perhaps moving production nearer to the market in what people call near-shoring. So instead of offshoring, we're now 
thinking about nearshoring. The trend for the past 20 years in many industries has been to offshore to save cost, to move production and process costs lower by employing overseas labour at lower unit prices. For example, if you're a retail fashion business, much of the supply will have been made in the Far East where labour costs are much lower. The other thing we might do to spread risk is to build our partnership arrangements with lots of different organisations to spread the risk throughout the supply chain. So it may not just be the tier one suppliers, it will be tier two, tier three, tier four, and a network of, of partnerships built up in the supply chain would certainly reduce cost. So that might be something we might consider. Depending on the type of industry we operate in, an option may be to hold more buffer stock. So, for example, if it's a standard product and we're able to hold that particular standard product in quantities higher than perhaps we would normally, that will give a buffer in terms of time in relation to supply, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks, and so on, rather than operating just in time systems. So you might decide on having an inventory buffer in place. But of course, that goes against the principle of keeping costs low, keeping workhouse costs down, keeping transportation costs low, and keeping supplies flowing to the customer as and when they need it. We may also think about having capacity to produce in different places standing by if we need to draw upon that capacity. But that isn't always easy to do, keeping people on ice until we actually need them to produce something for us. That might be more difficult than it actually appears. We might decide to think about different platforms or harmonise the production processes at different plants so that different plants can switch flexibly from the production of one line to the production of something else quickly. So flexible manufacturing and agility within our network of suppliers is important. Whether we own those suppliers is one thing, but certainly having capacity to do to do things differently but at speed is important. So if you think about the volatility, volumes, velocity, variability, virtuality, visibility and variety, the seven Vs that I've mentioned on a number of occasions, how we arrange those Vs would also give us some options in mitigating risk. And it would give indications of how our supply chain ecosystem is in terms of resilience. We could stress test that quite easily to see where the weaknesses are likely to come in that supply chain. And we could think about how we might overcome those weaknesses and turn them into strengths by focusing attention on those. When you think of all the things that organisations have done over the past 20 years or more in managing their supply chains to make them more efficient by taking cost out of the chain, by removing inefficient processes, uh, by sourcing from suppliers that they find provide better value, uh, by sourcing more widely, by sourcing from overseas, supply chains becoming longer but cost efficient, by operating just-in-time systems, by doing all those things that make the supply chain efficient, they've made those supply chains vulnerable to risk. And we can tell when a supply chain is not resilient because we walk into a store and can't find the goods that we want on the shelves. We see empty shelves. We order goods and it takes longer than expected to receive them. 
we order goods and they're not available. A particular supplier might let the organisation down and production processes have to halt. But all those things are vulnerabilities to which supply chains can be exposed when they're not resilient. Resilience in this sense means an ability to bounce back from a disruption. So if your supply chain is disrupted in some way, then building capabilities to ensure that the supply chain can actually bounce back is important. But it's not just about having that ability to bounce back. We can design into supply chains resilience by doing some things that will reduce the risk. So for example, if we have few suppliers of a critical product, we might want to extend our sourcing operations to widen the opportunities to supply the organization from a wider pool that's able to meet the requirements of the organization. So it still goes through the same quality checks, it's still attempting to meet the same standards, it's still attempting to match cost, but we've just extended our sourcing operation to limit that or limit or mitigate that particular risk. So from that point of view, that's one thing we can do on resilience. So have more, not less, more, not fewer suppliers available to meet the demands as and when necessary. So that just demands careful planning. So that's one risk replaced by resilience. What else can we do? We can think about the just-in-time systems that we operate, and we might decide that just-in-time works on parts of the supply chain, but maybe not on others because of the resilience risk. And therefore, we may wish to move that risk outside of the organisation, again, by having suppliers that can deliver on time and complete. And we've tested them under different sets of circumstances to do that. Now, lots of firms have got established just-in-time systems that work very well, but when they're faced with disruption, such as a war, a strike, or something as damaging as a pandemic, like COVID-19, then it's difficult to plan for such circumstances. But nevertheless, we have to think about what the possible threats and the possible risks and the possible vulnerabilities are in our own supply chains. So this is what it means to have a resilient supply chain. What else can we do to look at resilience? Well, when you want to make something more resilient, you have to strengthen parts of the supply chain and make sure that they are elastic enough to bounce back under disruption or flexible enough to switch production from one production line to another, one factory to another, one service center to another and still meet demand. And many of you will have noticed during the pandemic, just on a personal nature, that when you ordered goods that you could get quite easily prior to the pandemic, some of those goods were just not available once the pandemic had been in place for a number of weeks. And that's because lots of production centres were not able to carry out their normal work. It was because shipping and transport had diminished So if you had a lengthy supply chain, say to China or to the Far East or to different places in the globe, then shipping, road, air, freight and so on were disrupted. And as a consequence, that was reflected when you ordered goods. There were a few occasions during the pandemic when I went on to order various things online that had been in regular supply with a delivery date of a day or two that were now quoting a month. So again... It's difficult to predict such situations, but nevertheless, we have to think, what if? So the question all the time is, what if? What if this happened? What if that happened? How would our supply chain stand up? What strategies can we put in place to mitigate any risk against the threat 
of the things we've identified. So you'd have to sit down with people and think through the operations and the processes that are the most likely to be vulnerable when it comes to a disruption. And you'd have to consider types of disruption that your firm is most exposed to. Being flexible, being agile, swift of foot is what's needed to overcome vulnerabilities in a supply chain and make them resilient. And those are different requirements than those requirements we talked about that supply chains have been built on for many years, thinking about lean supply chains. Many industries, from automotive to retail, employ resilient supply chain strategies. Companies such as Amazon, BMW, British Aerospace, Honda, H&M, Sainsbury, Tesco, Toyota and Walmart amongst others, all have the objective of achieving resilience in their supply chains. Businesses making standard products where demand is more predictable have lower risk than those in the more volatile demand sectors, such as fashion brands, where small fluctuations in weather can change quantities of particular lines in demand, and they are much more susceptible to seasonal patterns of demand that vary even within the season. Planning to have more resilience in the supply chain means lowering risk. So can you plan to create a resilient supply chain? Answer yes. Stockpiling, producing closer to home and improving processes in the supply chain could all lower risk as well as lower cost. It's all a question of balance. If you can use lower cost process technologies, it may change that balance away from sourcing overseas where Traditionally, a supply chain may have been able to get advantage by buying lower cost items. So it's about balancing this cost up. But it's also about balancing other things, not just cost. It's not just the efficiency. It's looking at how secure that supply chain is to serve the customers. Are you able to satisfy customer demand as and when required? And therefore, shorter supply chains rather than long supply chains may be a better option. So building resilient supply chains requires organizations to have knowledge of where vulnerabilities that cause disruption are located in supply chains. You need to look at your supply chain for particular goods and services and examine them carefully to see where vulnerabilities lie. It's necessary to examine short, medium and possible long-term vulnerabilities in the supply chain. You want to put them into time frames. You need to look at the, those that might be immediate, those that might be needing a slightly longer time period and those that take much longer to change. So arrangements take time to put in place. Some arrangements, of course, can be done very quickly and especially using internet technologies. <laughs> Some of the forces of change emerge from the political, social, economic or technical externalities. For example, if we consider five things that have moved up the agenda for many people during the COVID-19 pandemic, we might identify number one, climate change, number two, sustainability, number three, a desire to lower inequalities, number four, ethical trade, paying people for wages, treating people with dignity and respecting human rights, and number five, concern that many states prioritise national interests employing protectionist economic strategies. So if we consider those five things, we can translate those concerns into what this might mean for our supply chains. We could most likely come up with a short list to consider. As an example, climate change may alter demand patterns for goods and services in different geographic regions, give impetus to switch faster to electric transportation, to lower CO2 emissions and away from fossil fueled transport, rethinking how we use scarce resources such as land and water, 
and reconfiguring how we deal with waste products so they have less environmental impact. For example, plastic packaging. So for climate change and sustainability, we have to separate the challenges into timeframes and devise strategies to close out those vulnerabilities. Items 3, 4 and 5 on our list also need to be considered and the temporal dimension needs also to be considered. Inequalities may impact demand for goods and services that we supply in particular lines. For example, people don't have the income to spend on particular products, then demand for those products is going to fall. Ethical trade might mean that we have to switch production centres, maybe because of non-compliance with human rights, or maybe because of price increases. Protectionism might mean that we have to switch supplier countries, owing to changes in tariffs and quotas. We then have to consider how these things might impact our own supply chain and how vulnerable we are to the challenges. Traditionally, we might conduct an environmental audit, examining the threats and opportunities emerging from such changes. We probably already had some idea of these prior to the pandemic, as many of them have been on the horizon for some time. It's just that we now have a particular focus of minds as people have more time to think about them. Having considered threats and opportunities, We might consider our own supply chain strengths and weaknesses. Maybe we're very technically capable, we have short lines of production, we've taken time out of those supply chains and looked at them very carefully to mitigate risk, and maybe we have an advantage over our other competitors. For example, if we had products that we could supply near shore in three to four weeks when competitors have extended supply chains with longer lead times, say six to eight weeks, then effectively we have three or four weeks flexibility built into our supply chain which gives us some comfort. It's a buffer. If we're able to switch longer to shorter supply chains within our own structures that too might reduce risk within our own supply chain. Global firms have an advantage because they have centres of production and supply strategically placed across the world and they may be able to use spur capacity in one centre to tackle a risk faced elsewhere. However, this isn't always the case, especially if capacity is already committed. In theory, yes, it's possible. In practice, it may not be that easy to do. It may be the case that the smaller firms without such fixed asset commitments may be better placed to switch to another supplier. Maybe it already has other contracts with a supplier that could make other goods for it and it's an easy process of switch. Or maybe they have to deal with a new supplier to mitigate a risk, but that's a more risky option, of course, because the new supplier may be an unknown quantity. So you have to, once again, think about all sides of the risk. The pandemic has moved digital transformation up the agenda for many businesses. In the supply chain, it's easier to deal with suppliers at distance by employing internet technologies. It's easier to predict demand patterns more quickly using data analytics, algorithms by replacing or supplementing traditional forecast data with real-time sales data and external sources of big data to get a more accurate picture of demand. Sensing changes in demand patterns quickly is key. For example, in the pandemic, supermarket shelves in the UK retail stores emptied as consumers stockpiled and this caused shortages in stockkeeping units that are otherwise stable and predictable. Things like toilet rolls, pasta and some tin goods suddenly became volatile products. Fresh fruit and vegetable also became less predictable. These otherwise stable demand patterns were disrupted by excess demand caused by people concerned about 
shortages of basic household items. Volume volatility was the result of these actions and it took weeks to get back to normal patterns of demand. This type of volatility also triggers unusual production patterns in the factories where goods are made and they too come under pressure. The problem with this type of volatility is it affects the whole supply chain, disturbs equilibrium, normal throughput and changes cost, price and volume relationships. One consequence is that consumer prices may rise as demand is increased and supply falls. It's all relative, of course. So there we have it. Many ways to look at supply chain resilience and what it means for organisations to have resilient supply chains. And I hope I've given you some tips and hints of things to look at that can make your supply chains and your organisation more resilient as you try to build stronger, more flexible and more bounce back into your supply chain with ideas that can stop disruption or at least calculate the risk of disruption and have strategies to deal with disruption when it does occur. So that's it for this edition of Chain Reaction. See you next time. You've been listening to Chain Reaction, all about supply chain advantage, written and presented by Tony Hines. <laughs>